Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Yesterday, we celebrated the Feast of St. Augustine, and uh, he is, again, one of the giants. Uh, it's hard to find people in the history of the Church uh, who have had greater uh, influence, at least in terms of uh, thinking through the doctrine of the faith. And I want to take some time today to, you know, dig dig a little bit into the life of St. Augustine and his masterful work called the Confessions. Uh, it is one of the great works of Christian writing, and it uh, is universally applauded uh, among Christian communities, not just Catholics, but uh, many uh, Protestant leaders have testified to the importance of the Confessions in their life. Uh, joining us that talk about St. Augustine, we've got Dr. John Love. He's an associate professor at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland. He earned his doctorate in sacred theology from the Pontifical University St. Thomas Aquinas and his uh, license uh, for theology from the Pontifical Faculty of the Immaculate Conception at the Dominican House of Studies. I will say he is my son-in-law, and I'm delighted to have him as my son-in-law. He and his wife, Alexis, have eight children, and they've recently returned from World Youth Day in Lisbon with all eight kids in tow. So, John, thanks for joining me. It's great to be on the show with you, Al. Thanks. So you made it back from Lisbon. Everybody, we, none, none the we worse did. for wear. Well, every pilgrimage has sacrifices involved, and I think um, it, it was a great experience, you know, a trying experience in some ways, um, but, but also really enriching. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, you teach on St. Augustine in the seminary, and uh, you also do uh, a lecture on A Restless Heart, the Confessions uh, of Augustine. Give us some basics about him. He's born uh, 354, I believe. Is that right? Right. Um, He's born in North Africa, um, kind of in a sort of -of out-of-the-way place um, called Tagaste. and, you know, the Confessions is the book where he kind of tells his story. So a lot of the information we have about his, his growing up and all that stuff comes from, from him telling us that story. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing. He, we, he gives the name of his father as Patricius, which is sort of, you know, sort of upper class. And we're not 100% sure that's his, his name everybody called him. But um, Augustine grows up, you know, and, and in the beginning of the Confessions, in the first book, he talks about how his parents tried to give him all the best things okay. in life. Um, you know, train him at the best schools, you know, prepare him for a life of business, for a life of, you know, being influential and powerful. So an upper-class um, upper class figure? Yeah, I think he's kind of aiming at that. Yeah. You know, it's a little murky, and, and that's an that's interesting feature of the Confessions, where we have a lot of information, but <clears throat> some important things are kind of left out, you know, like, for example, he, you know, it's well known, he lived with this woman for a long time, had a child with her, we don't know her name. Yeah, yeah. We're not sure we know his dad's name. Um, so there's some things about him which he kind of hides. Yeah. Um, but other things he's very open about, um, especially, you know, his interior life and, and his, his sort of path of conversion. Uh, when does he write the Confessions? Um, he writes the Confessions kind of just after he's made bishop in Hippo. 
you know, he's called St. Augustine of Hippo. That's where he was bishop. Um, that's where he kind of ministered as a bishop. Um, and we know that because that information is contained in the book. So, you know, he, he talks about when I was made a bishop in this sort of, you know, towards the end. Um, and it just seems like there's a lot of reasons why he writes the book. Um, one of them is, you know, there was a, there was a heretical group um, in North Africa at that time called the Donatists. And they, they were really upset that some people had faced persecution uh, for a Christian faith and had, you know, denied the faith and tried to save their lives. And so they wanted a Christian community where nobody had sinned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, Good luck. you want to say, like, well, where's your glass house, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, um, but they thought Augustine was their guy. You know, finally, we have this brilliant, wonderful erudite Christian. And so Augustine writes the confessions, partly the confessions of his sins, in order to say, hey, I'm not your guy. <laughs> um, I, I think also, you know, another reason to not just sort of kind of going against them, and he had a long history of kind of, you know, being against the Donatists after, after the book as well, but um, he, I think because he was made bishop of a place where he wasn't from, he wanted to sort of introduce himself to his people, okay. sort of, this is, this is who I am, this is where I come from. You know, I've got kind of a long, checkered background in different ways. You know, I, I was a Manichae for 12 years um, before I came to the Catholic faith. So that's, so an, that's an admission. To, that's an admission of he'd been entertaining false teaching for a long time. For sure. And, yeah. um, you know, there's a, there's a humility, of course, in... in Keeping a record, you know, sharing sharing your journey, yeah, um, and and mistakes you've made, um, and you know, it's an interesting way to enter into Episcopal ministry, yeah. Um, to say I've made some mistakes, you know, but I figured some things out, and I'm giving this a shot. Uh, you know, I, I'm a disciple on the journey. I, I think that's definitely where the, where the confessions ends. You know, with him sort of not just saying, you know, I'm I'm no longer doing the false teaching. You know, I've kind of straightened out my moral life, but also I'm working on this. I'm trying to read the scripture well, um, and, and I'm kind of starting at that sort of. Hmm. So, is the confessions is it's unique form of literature at, during that period, right? I mean, today we we Absolutely. people write confessional literature all the time. You know, everybody has a memoir sure. or an autobiography. But right. Right. That's not true in the fourth century. No, um, it, it was sort of strange to hear this, the interior journey story at that time. Um, you know, it was a lot of writing back and forth, you know, no social media, no internet. You know, you sit down and write a long letter and exchange letters back and forth, very common. Um, and they tended to talk about, you know, important things. You know, Augustine and Jerome wrote letters back and forth, arguing about the correct interpretation of Scripture from mm -hmm. the Greek and the Hebrew and everything else. Um, so, but this sort of revealing the inner life um, was was pretty unique um, and got got a lot of attention for Augustine. The modern world, when it turns to the interior life um, and and thinks about the experience of of things and how do we know that and those kind of questions, it looks to Augustine as as an inspiration, um, as a model. Um, and you asked about literature, you know, like in another way. Um, Augustine, even in the first book of the Confessions, you know, he invokes um, the Aeneid by Virgil, you know, mm -hmm. which for, you know, people in the Roman world was sort of 
the manual, the handbook, the origin story. You know, you want to know what you're supposed to do? You know, look at the virtues of Aeneas. You know, this is like the Roman story about how, right. who, where we come from and what we're supposed to do. So Augustine just gives this kind of casual reference in book one, you know, they made me read the story of the wanderings of some guy named Aeneas, you know, <laughs> which is like, everybody knows who Aeneas is. What do you mean some guy <laughs> named Aeneas? This is sort of like the book of the Roman world. Um, and Augustine kind of flips the story on his head, right? Because Aeneas, you know, in the story of Virgil, you know, he's from Troy, but then he goes to North Africa, but he gets sort of caught up with Dido, who's someone else's wife, and they spent a long time you know, um, not acting the way they should. Um, and then, but then Aeneas finally kind of remembers his, his real purpose and he leaves North Africa and he goes up to Italy and he founds Rome. You know, that's sort of the Aeneas story right. in really brief terms. So, um, Augustine of course knows that was taught that. And he tells his own story about leaving North, North Africa, finding his true mission up in Italy um, going to Rome, going further uh, to Milan, except Augustine's story is about his mission as a Christian, his mission to find the deepest truth of all reality, the the truth about God, right? Mm-hmm. And, and um, the way he tells the story is not self-help, you know, and then I accomplished this, and then I accomplished that, but rather um, from the very beginning, Augustine puts the initiative and the emphasis where it belongs. He says, God, you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Um, And so that Augustine takes epic literature and makes it Christian epic by placing God at the center and recognizing God is the one who drives history. Uh. And, And it's our job to to cooperate with him, to step into the stream of what God is doing. So, I mean, that's actually, God is the, the principal actor uh, throughout Scripture, and it sounds as though uh, he is seeing God as the principal actor in his confession. Right. And and it's lovely that, like, when Augustine writes the book, he knows that's true. Yeah. And he yeah. tells the story from that perspective. But when he's living the the moments, most of the time in the story, he wouldn't he wouldn't accept that he wouldn't acknowledge that you know he thought he and his buddies were just stealing pears and you know he was feeling really good because he like looked good in front of his friends for sneaking and stealing the pears you know the famous episode in book two mm-hmm. about the pear theft um, he wouldn't have said you know then I was turning away from God and I, you know I wasn't recognizing the truth about myself and neighbor and all that you know so. Being able to tell your own story afterwards, the memoir, you know, gives you some ability to reinterpret events, uh, to to shed light on things that were murky and dark before. Yeah. Um, We talked earlier about this being unique in its own time, and it's had influence uh, throughout history. I mean, I wonder if, um, you know, Teresa of Avila's story uh, would have been told if the Confessions had never been written, or Therese of Lisieux. Uh, would their books have, would they have told their interior story of their interior life um, if if Augustine had never said given the Confessions? Yeah, and I mean we'll never know um, exactly, but but he certainly like he breaks new ground. 
um, he does it in such a lovely, wonderful way. I mean, you know, um, Thomas Merton writes how in Columbia University they were reading the Confessions, hmm. you know, which has no religious convictions, no, you know, like aspirancy to Catholic faith at all. But every, the point is, everybody recognizes Augustine's Confessions is a game changer. Yeah. And and everybody's got to go figure that out. Everybody's got to, especially young people looking for themselves, looking for their path. Yeah. You know, this is a great model. This is a great start. John, hold it there. We've got a break. We're going to come back and continue our look at the life teaching the inner world of St. Augustine. I'm Al Cresta, and we'll be right back. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. We are looking at the life and thought of St. Augustine today. My guest, Dr. John Love from Mount St. Mary Seminary, where he teaches on St. Augustine. Uh, we were looking at the Confessions, uh, again, probably the most popular of St. Augustine's writings. It was written just after he'd become a bishop, and it's also a way that he's um, letting his uh, congregations know uh, who he is. Um, and, you know, I wonder, he, he writes, um, with a pastoral intent and is that true of all of his writing? I mean, we think of him as a philosopher sometimes or as a a great theologian, uh, but he actually is a pastor, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, as you know, we, we were talking a little earlier today, um, Confessions, City of God, his famous book on the Trinity, um, Christian Doctrine. All of these are books that he writes um, when he's a bishop, uh, when he has pastoral responsibility. And I think um, he's always kind of putting out fires. You know, people come and they say different things. You know, well, this is true and this is right. This is the way we should live. And so Augustine kind of jumps out to kind of combat those those wrong ideas uh, and to, to show the right way. Um, and I think also, you know, like when I read Augustine, I get the sense of somebody who's super energetic and really inquisitive. You know, um, the Confessions is a book that, you know, begins addressing God and ends with amen. You know, it, if you want to understand what it is, it, it's kind of a big, long prayer. But he's he's asking so many questions. But if this is true, why is it like that? But if it's like that, then why is it like this? And wouldn't it also mean this other thing, too? Just so so an active mind, a jumping, you know, lively mind, you know, mm-hmm. that just wants to get the truth, wants to find the Lord. Um, and I think he's he's trying to invite his readers into into that, that seeking, um, searching, find the Lord moment and, and, and way of living. So it sounds as though uh, he has, of course, a... a remarkable conversion, but discipleship uh, remains an active part of his life. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, that's that's something like um, the Confessions is written, you know, just as he's starting his, his life as a bishop. Um, his book on the Trinity is later. Um, his, his book on the City of God is, is near the end of his life. And in each of these books, he's definitely trying to draw his reader in, 
and and sort of show, hey, I'm still looking for the Lord. You know, I can't understand the Trinity as much as I want to, but that, that doesn't mean I should stop seeking. Um, you know, in the city of God, you know, sort of the Roman world is crumbling around us, but, but we Christians, we, we have a, a, a heavenly city, not an earthly city, but a heavenly city that's not going away. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't give up. We shouldn't stop. We shouldn't stop keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. This is what we need to do to to be fulfilled, be happy, and also, you know, kind of get through the tough times we're in. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we, it's often the case that when we think of these older writers, uh, especially writers on theological themes, that we don't have a sense of dynamism, uh, that they are people actually— uh, we see them as teachers, not necessarily as um, friends or brothers and sisters who are dealing with the same uh, issues of sanctity that we are. Um, right. You almost get the impression, uh, at least in, in our imagination, that St. Augustine is there as he's got it all worked out. You know, if he doesn't yeah. have it worked out, yeah. who does? But, <laughs> sure, right, right. But he's he is. Um, I think you said before that is in his mind, a Christian discipleship is friendship with God, and that's Absolutely. something that increases and deepens. Yeah, and um, in the Confessions, in Book Ten. Um, he continues to to tell his story, and and even there, he's saying, you know, at that point, he says, you know, I became a bishop, and here are the things I still struggled with, um, and and a lot of those things related to lust. You know, as a younger man, he struggled with lust. Mm-hmm. You know, he lived out of wedlock for a long time, yeah. and he's saying, you know, as a bishop, you know, here are some things that that are still struggles for me in lust, and and here are some ways I try to combat that. So he's certainly, you know, admitting that he doesn't have it all figured out, that he's still on the path. Um, and, and I think, you know, as he, as he, even as he concludes the, the confessions, you know, we, we see this, this quest for peace. Um, and, and he says there that it's not until we are with God forever, you know, um, not until heaven that we find our, our true, our everlasting peace. Um, yes, this um, this line, um, and this is almost the very last page of the Confessions. Okay. We hope that we shall find rest when you admit us to the great holiness of your presence. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and 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 it's it's something lovely, you know, like, I think recognizing life on earth is the pilgrim journey. Yeah. Um, and the confessions, you know, it starts that famous line, you have made us for, our, for yourself, O God, and we are restless, so we rest in thee. Yeah. And then in the middle, we, he has that prayer, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. And at the end of that prayer, he says, I, I've tasted you, and now I hunger and thirst for you. Yes, I love you know, that. I love that line. Uh, I've touched you, and now I, I'm, I long for your peace. Yeah. yeah. So... And that's book 10. He's a bishop, and he's, he's saying, I've got a little bit, but I don't have it the way I want to. Mm-hmm. I, I need more. Yeah. And, and then at the end, the last page is about finding peace in God who, who rests with us in the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, his, how, how do you account for his influence? I mean, there's no doubt that he is, along with St. Thomas Aquinas, the two giants that we look to uh, when we talk about yeah. uh, Catholic teaching. And, and St. Augustine is uh, well-received uh, in, in many Protestant uh, communions as well. Uh, he's very Absolutely. important to Calvin. He's very important to Luther. That's right. Um, right. And so uh, I, I know in among the Eastern Orthodox, he's not as influential, um, but right. certainly in the Western Christian world, he's he's a giant. Why? Why is he so important? Yeah, I think um, you know in the Confessions, <clears throat> Augustine tells us the story about how. He learned the art of speaking convincingly, rhetoric, Mm -hmm. Um, and how he was really wonderful at this job. Um, And and he he came to the seat of Roman power at that time. So he was trained to speak convincingly. Yeah. And boy, does he use those gifts well. Yeah, and it shows up. Absolutely. All right. Um, And and it's, it's... sort of obvious things, you know, the, the kind of the energy that he has and the, the way that he's able to, to kind of cut through false arguments and find the truth about something, and just the, the beauty of his language. Yeah. Um, it's, it's memorable. It's, it's lovely. It kind of captures our imagination. So I, I think there's a lot of natural gifts that he spent a lot of time fostering, um, kind of took the best that the world could offer, mm-hmm. and then used that for the kingdom. Um, and I think also something else that's important is, um, in his time and age, you know, the text was the scripture. So all of your questions, all of your answers, it's formulated in the language of scripture. It's told in the stories of scripture. And, and, um, Augustine is trying to explain everything. He's not just sitting down for one thing at a time. You know, it's this sort of fireball of, all the things in Scripture and how they all interweave with each other and how you know, that, that shows us what's true about God and us mm-hmm. and the world and everything. Um, it's just intoxicating. Yeah. Um, and, and even if you disagree with him, you have to deal with him because he made a lot of arguments. And, and if you don't acknowledge what he did, well, somebody else is going to pick that up and use it against you or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, he is, he is a, a great stylist as you might say i mean um you were you were within me and i was in the world outside myself i searched for you outside myself and disfigured as i was i fell on the lovely things of your creation you were with me but i was not with you the beautiful things of this world kept me far from you and yet if that had not been in you they would have had no being at all so he's got he's He's constant insight uh, that he's right. offering here, and these little couplets uh, are just beautiful. You yeah. shed your fragrance uh, about me. I drew breath, and now I gasp for your sweet odor. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and I, I think it's just it's it's a genius. It's a it's a genius gift, and and he put it at the service of the kingdom, um, and. Um, he's not inventing what's true. 
Right. But he's right. expressing it in a way that's so poignant, that's so vivid. You know, his use of imagery is, is so lovely. Um, he has um, another famous passage about um, the moral struggle and about how sin actually, you know, it, it claims to set you free. You can do whatever you want, but really it, it closes you in. And and that idea is all over Scripture, and, and Paul certainly uses that language mm-hmm. of freedom mm-hmm. and slavery and servitude. But, like, the way Augustine writes it, you know, it just sort of makes it all come alive. Yeah. Um, oh. if, if you don't mind, I, I can read a few lines of, of Please, that. no, go right ahead. Sure. Um, I was held fast, not in fetters clamped on me by another, but by my own will which had the strength of iron chains. The enemy held my will in his power, and from it he had made a chain and shackled me. For my will was perverse, and lust had grown from it. And when I gave in to lust, habit was born. And when I did not resist the habit, it became a necessity. These were the links which together formed what I have called my chain, and it held me fast in the duress of servitude. But the new will, which had come to life in me and made me wish to serve you freely and enjoy you, my God, who are our only certain joy, was not yet strong enough to overcome the old, hardened as it was by the passage of time. So these two wills within me, one old, one new, one the servant of the flesh, the other of the spirit, were in conflict, and between them they tore my soul apart. Mm-hmm. Mm. Where, where is that from? That is in Confessions, Book 8, Section 5. Okay. okay. And... Other people have said it, but they didn't say it quite like that. That's right. No, very true. Uh, We've got about a minute left here. Just say a few words about the importance of his work, The City of God, which, again, is is probably the great crowning work uh, of his life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The City of God, because it comes at the end of his life, he's at the height of his powers. Yeah. Um, He's seen everything. He's been everywhere. He's fought a lot of fights in different ways, and um, he's he's trying to explain everything. He's trying to put everything in its place and its peace, and it's so poignant, I think, in its context, because the Roman world is crumbling, but he's trying to tell us, tell his, his compatriots, our life is not over. Yeah. Our citizenship is above, and, and we're going to make it through even if Rome falls. Yeah. Yes. The things of this world may be passing away. Um, That's right. Yeah. Well, John, thanks. Uh, Greatly appreciate it, and uh, hope to talk with you soon. Sounds great. Thanks. Dr. John Love. I'm Al Cresta.